Hi everyone, welcome to the Shaker Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 104 today, it is the 26th of October 23, and today, because it's half term where I am, we are, uh, instead of looking at the main topic, we're having a bit of a roundup of the news. So it's half term this week and uh, I've got to, um, got to be out with the family, we're having lunch um, in a, a little while. So I thought rather than doing a main topic, I would just do a short podcast looking at some of the, the news from the last week. And um, yeah, I apologise, by the way, if you can hear any background noise, the kids banging and thumping around and whatever it is that they do during half term. Um, but uh, yes, I'm just going to, I saw some interesting things over this last week and I thought they'd be worth commenting on a little bit more in, in depth than I do sometimes. Um, and just to, just to say, by the way, thanks to everyone who's left comments, who's been in touch uh, over the last few days. I really do appreciate that. And if you'd like to leave a comment, you can leave one on YouTube uh, just underneath the video. Or if you're listening on the audio podcast, you can leave a message on Telegram if you use Telegram. Or you can email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for everyone who's done that. And if you are listening on the audio podcast, by the way, then if you're able to, do leave me a rating, even a review, as that will help other people to find the podcast too. I keep getting emails saying that I'm popping out of the, the charts in Vietnam. So if you're listening um, in Vietnam, well done. You know, I think you must, uh, the one or two people in Vietnam must be keeping keeping the show on the road. So well done, good and faithful listeners. Um, <laughs> um, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, um, there is a buy me a coffee link. And um, yeah, thanks so much to everyone who, who's done that uh, over the last few months as well. I really do appreciate that. I know that these are these are tough times for us all. Um, so anyway, let us let us move on to the uh, the main topic here. I say the main topic, but the news. These are the bits and pieces which I thought I'd talk about. So um, quite a quite a bit from the Daily Skeptic actually um, this week. Uh, just the way it's happened. I, th- I suppose I've been away, and um, you know this has just been my sort of regular news, go-to news, what have you. There's an article here by Freya India, and um, Freya India is. Uh, she's a young woman and she was interviewed on trigonometry a few months ago. But I think she's very interested, I suppose, in, you know, feminism, femininity and about how modern society kind of subverts, I suppose, a lot of what women want and what men want as well, in fact. Um, and is actually quite harmful to women. And um, she's written this article, which is published on the Daily Skeptic. I think it was originally published on her blog. Uh, called Victoria's Secret Rediscovers What Women Really Want. And let me just quote you a little bit from from that. And she's saying, by the way, that Victoria's Secret, uh, Victoria's Secret, they kind of went feminist and, you know, woke and what have you. And they basically, um, yeah, uh, talked about... Um, well, they, they just changed what Victoria... You know what Victoria's Secrets were about, you know prior to that and you know you you know the kind of thing I'm talking about I'm sure but she says this one paragraph to me this perfectly represents the prevailing feminist narrative today it is a message that often seems less about representation and inclusivity and more about denigrating beauty and femininity it tells young women that there is something inherently wrong with wanting to be attractive to men and that dressing in a way that appeals to men is a form of patriarchal oppression now, I think that what she says there is really on the money, which is that 
you know, uh, I think Douglas Murray said this in, um, I think this is in his previous book. It's not, was it The Madness of Crowds? Yes, The Madness of Crowds, I think. He talks about men and women. And he's in he, I remember him saying, no, as a society, we've forgotten everything that society used to know up until about five minutes ago about the relationship of men and women. And you know, of course, men find women attractive. And of course, women want men to find them attractive. You know, there's, there's nothing shameful or, you know, that, that's just the way that the world works. You can't, you know, what Victoria's Secrets are trying to do is to, to undermine that, if you like, to, to try and rewrite the way that the world works. And, and you can't do that. There's a quote which I, I never can remember the source of this quote, but um, it, it struck me as being very wise. As something like, uh, you try and banish nature, yet she usher back in. And I think there is something very wise about that, that if you try and banish the way that the world works, you are going to find it coming back in very quickly. And it seems to me what's happened with Victoria's Secret and the way that, as Freya India points out, the way that the whole world seems to say to young women, there is something bad about wanting to be attractive to men. What you do is you just make it underground. And what Victoria's Secret and others are doing is paving the way for OnlyFans and for this really, really toxic kind of expression of femininity, uh, where I think it is really abusive, actually. But that's what the world is pushing young women towards, and young men too, you know, because they think, oh, well, I'm not allowed to, to look at a woman as if she's attractive. And, you know, so they're pushed into OnlyFans as well. And we just got this really horrible kind of relationship now between men and women where we're not allowed to acknowledge the truth that we've known for for centuries. It struck me, actually, just um, not long ago, we were watching... Uh, someone gave us some old DVDs and we were watching some Disney movies. And we watched, I think it was The Aristocats. Might have been another Disney movie. Um, but, you know, the older the older Disney films are of a similar piece you know think about princesses and the but it's quite classic the relationship of men and women you know the, you want the the knight in shining armor and you know and, and it just struck me you, you never ever see that today and yes i i know that there were certainly things about those old disney films you know we don't want to to pigeonhole men and women in in boxes but to to throw out the stereotypes completely it just seems to me we are undoing something about our humanity if we do that. Um, and um, yeah, this is why I think we need to take a common sense approach to, you know, um, we need to take a common sense approach to, well, to men and women and to, to all sorts of different things, you know, and we need to restore a bit of common sense, <laughs> basically. So yeah, let me know what you think about that. That's, um, that's That was the first thing. Okay. The next, the next one is another article by uh, David McGrogan. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned several of his articles on the podcast before. I, I like what he has to say. And the last one he wrote, I think, was about Law 3.0. If you remember, I, I mentioned that a few weeks ago. Law 3.0. And he argued in that piece that we are moving from a position of law being about you know what's right and wrong and governing the parameters of what's right and wrong to actually empowering regulators to regulate so that we you know it, it, it shapes us into doing the right 
what they believe is the right thing, the right course of action. Not a question of sort of moral right, but, you know, guiding us like climate change, for example. So we, we use less, we drive, um, you know, drive less and so on and so forth. And he's this uh, newer piece that he's written again on the Daily Skeptic, which I think also may have been published on his Substack, um, but is called The Death of the Rules-Based Order, published on the 23rd of October. And all the links for these will be down below, um, by the way. But let me quote you um, a little bit of what he says, just again, another paragraph from what he says. The message here is clear enough. Laws which merely make generally applicable binding rules are for dinosaurs. Avant-garde modern governance is about getting such rules out of the way so that people can self-regulate in light of consultation and assistance. And, to come back to the international rules-based order, this is as true in the highest spheres of global governance as it is in the grubbiest corners of local and regional government. Global governments has become deeply impatient and dissatisfied with the wearisome business of rulemaking and especially rule enforcement. Rules are rigid. Rules are boring. Rules are annoyingly transparent in respect of their breach. More importantly, rules can't achieve one's desired goals. At best, all they really can do is prohibit rather than operationalise. At worst, they simply get in the way of what one wishes to achieve much better to find other ways to make things happen instead. And I think what he's talking about here is the the shift from the traditional laws of you know a Christian sort of westernized world which would which talks about you know right and wrong. So you know we um like for example murder. Now murder is is wrong of course it is and you know, it's it, that that's there's a rule against it, and if you break that command, then you're punished. But the kind of rules which we have now, it's not really rules. It's so much they want to create a kind of society. They have a vision of society which they want to create, and so they make laws not because they they are looking to, you know what's right and wrong but they they are looking for the perhaps the the greater good they're looking to manipulate us to shape us into the kind of people that they want to be and i think it is this sort of god complex you know we've we've seen that several times the way that governments now seem to have this sort of god complex where they think they are in the place of god and they think that they can shape and create the kind of society that that they want uh, without actually, you know, just by manipulating us, by controlling us, so that it will solve all the problems in the world just by a bit more control, a bit more shaping, a bit more technology, a bit more technocracy. And it's wrong, isn't it? But this is exactly what is happening. Um, and um, yeah, David McGrogan goes on to give some examples, um, sustainable development goals, for example. I think this is related to ESG as well, you may have heard of. Uh, and so on and so forth and he looks at some of the examples so i thought that was quite a quite an interesting article um do have a do have a look at that uh, the next thing um i was talking last week about the situation in israel and um i saw a couple of things this week about that the first thing is this petition on change.org an open letter 
from Palestinian Christians to Western church leaders and theologians. And um, this is, uh, as I said, you know, there are Christians on both sides. There are Palestinian Christians and there are Christians in Israel as well. And uh, as Christians, I believe it's our our job to look at both sides and to not just to support one side unstintingly, but to see the rights and wrongs um, and to take a kind of to, yeah, to, to, to say, yes, Hamas, what they did was an atrocity. It was terrible. But again, looking at what Israel have done, uh, how do we judge them? How do we judge their actions uh, morally? And this is the perspective from these Palestinian Christians. Let me read just one paragraph from this as well. Further, we watch with horror the way many Western Christians are offering unwavering support to Israel's war against the people of Palestine. While we recognise the numerous voices that have spoken and continue to speak for the cause of truth and justice in our land, we write to challenge Western theologians and church leaders who have voiced uncritical support for Israel and to call them to repent and change. Sadly, the actions and double standards of some Christian leaders have gravely hurt their Christian witness and have severely distorted their moral judgment with regard to the situation in our land. They've gravely distorted their Christian witness and hurt their Christian witness. I think that's absolutely true. And I'll come on to this again in a moment. But the double standards... Uh, one of the things which God hates is double standards. When we we get, let ourselves off the hook, but we apply very hard standards to someone else. And this is actually exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? You know, why do you take why do you um, take the speck out of your brother's eye when you there's a plank in your own eye? You know, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye before removing the speck from your brother's. That's And Jesus warned us about this. That's exactly what we human beings are capable of. And that is exactly, as, as Christians, what we need to do. We need to take a, a fair assessment of the situation and consider everybody as being culpable. Or say everybody as being culpable. And we must consider the rights and wrongs of everyone. You know, as Solzhenitsyn said, and I've quoted this many times, but you know, the line dividing good and evil runs through every human heart. Not, it's, there's no dividing line between Israel and Palestine. You know, Israel are not on the, the side of the good and Palestine on the side of the demons. But the, there are faults on both sides and we absolutely have to acknowledge that. Otherwise we will damage our witnesses as, as Christians and as the West. And as I'll come on to in just a second, I think that the West is doing great damage to itself by this unstinting support of Israel, uh, because it, it's just not that simple. It's not that simple. I think what's happening in a, in Israel at the moment is actually far more um, far more complicated, and is is actually a kind of a if you like a proxy for a bigger a bigger struggle between the Western view of of the world and you know an alternative view of the world, particularly the Islamic view of the world but i i think you could also put in you know places like china perhaps a more authoritarian view of the world on that by the way i just like to to say i've been i mentioned the other last week i think that i've, I've wanted to read more about israel 
and I've just started reading a book called Allies for Armageddon by a Victoria, I think Victoria Clark is her name, looking at how Christian Zionism has shaped the world. And it has to, I have to be honest that Christian Zionism is bonkers. And I apologise in advance. Well, well I, I apologise if you're a Christian Zionist. Um, but really, I, I think looking at looking at the book looking at the the way that you know that these christian zionists they want there to be war in israel to so that you know the jews build a second temple so christ will return it just seems so utterly alien to the bible that i know and as i mentioned it last week i think at the end of last week rob dalrymple's book these brothers of mine i think helps to to actually bring some biblical insights uh, into into Christian Zionism and explain why it is it, it's not it's not right, uh, but but yes I, I'm I'm sorry folks but you know it just seems so much of what is happening is uh, in in the Western world anyway and its support for Israel is based on a deeply flawed understanding of of the Bible, and I, I don't think that as Christians uh, we can take. A position really about the modern state of it. It's certainly not a continuation of the ancient nation of Israel. Um, I, I don't think that we should, you know, whether that you know it's right for there to be a modern state of Israel or not. I don't think that's that's something that we can pronounce on really from the Bible. I don't think it is related to end times prophecy. I don't think it is related to Jesus's return or not. Uh, I think actually it says much more about the presuppositions of Western Christians than it does about actually what what God is doing in the world and I, I I think sadly it just goes to show the the way that so much of what passes for Christianity in the West is pretty vacuous and and empty you know treating the Bible like some kind of code book which needs to be decoded um like you know like um so, oh um what 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 was that famous um, Nostradamus you know like something like that to explain events in the future rather than actually to, to teach us what God really wants from us. And, uh, uh, you know, it, yeah, I, I really want to look into this in more detail. But like I said, um, I'm, I'm still reading and thinking about it. But uh, yeah, what I would just say is stay away from Christian Zionism and uh, do have a look at the Rob Dalrymple book if you want to look kind of about the, the theology from the Bible about um, about some of the those texts which they they often draw on okay staying on the subject of israel um another article also from the daily skeptic like i said a lot from the daily skeptic this week um this is noah carl on the 23rd of october saying how the israel palestine and russia ukraine conflicts are similar and um i think you know, going back to what i said about double standards i think this again is really highlights it for me the way that the war in ukraine and what's happening in israel are have their a lot of similarities and yet how the west has dealt very differently with both of them so let me quote you from what he says here it scarcely needs to be said that russia's occupation and subsequent annexation of parts of four ukrainian oblasts is in violation of international law Indeed, this is something that Western officials have been stating over and over again for months. Yet, Israel's settlements in the West Bank, its occupation of East Jerusalem 
and its annexation of the Golan Heights are also in violation of international law. Indeed, the illegal annexation of the Golan Heights in 1981, which is recognised by only one country, the US, is directly analogous to Russia's illegal annexation of the four Ukrainian oblasts last September. Even Israel's European allies consider the country to be violating international law. In May 2021, a joint statement by the governments of France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the UK described West Bank settlements as illegal, urging Israel to cease its policy of settlement expansion across the occupied Palestinian territories. The two countries have offered justifications for their ongoing violations of international law, which, as noted above, are remarkably similar. Both claim they are protecting their people in what was historically their land. Interestingly, the similarities don't end there. For the time being, neither conflict can be resolved through peaceful means due, in large part, to the strategic importance of a certain piece of territory. In Israel's case, it's the West Bank. In Russia's case, it's the land bridge to Crimea. So, think about it. Uh, what's happening with the war in Ukraine is has a lot of parallels to what's happening with Palestine and, and Israel. And Israel have not been, as I said, have not been guiltless. They've engaged in things which are similar to the, very similar to what Russia have been engaged in. And yet, the Western powers have treated them both very, very differently. And that's the problem, isn't it? It goes back to the double standards that I was talking about. There's an episode of a Yes Prime Minister which talks about how uh, there was a spy, but he was you know, one of us, so he wasn't looked into. You know, he was one of us, so they didn't conduct an, uh, an appropriate investigation, but he was actually sending information back to the Russians. Now, obviously, that's a fictional television programme. But I think this idea of one of us is a deeply dangerous idea, actually. Because one of us, when it comes to anything other than being, you know, in Christ, as a Christian, you know, having the Holy Spirit, one of us means that we overlook someone's flaws and unstintingly support them and their enemies are our enemies. And so we take sides and it seems to me that that's exactly what's happened with Russia and Ukraine and what's happened with Israel and Palestine. We've taken sides not based on who is actually a sort of a dispassionate looking at the evidence and looking at the situation. But we've taken sides based on who's one of us and who isn't. Now, we don't like Russia, therefore we're against them. We want to weaken Russia and we stand with Israel because they are one of us. And that's not right. You know, when both countries have been engaged in things which are illegal, which are condemned, then we must be prepared to say that and, and to, to actually call them to account and act consistently. And, it, you know, imagine this. And, and I think this is the thing that I, I'm kind of, I suppose, uh, if, if this podcast does have a main topic, this is the, what I wanted to get to. Which is, imagine this from the perspective of Islam, or perhaps China, who are watching the Western world. Because they see this. You know, they, they are not fooled. You know, we in the Western world, we watch our media, we, we 
we have a view of ourselves as being fans of human rights. We think that our governments care about us. We think our governments care about what is good and moral and are on the side of what's good and moral and right. All the while, the watching world looks around and they see the double standards. They see the way that our leaders seem to be warmongering in some ways. They will concoct excuses to go to war. You know, Think about what we were thinking about 9-11, for example. They will f- make events to justify going to war, the war on terror, you know, the, um, all of these things. They will go into war. They will gun down people. They will, people will be killed. And we still think we're the good guys. But what does it look to the watching world? What it looks to them is that we've lost the plot and that we are the ones who need to be wiped out. And I think this is really, this is, this is the thing that we in the Western world, we are sowing the seeds of our own destruction. I really think that we are witnessing the end of the West, unless things change. And I hope and pray that they do. But I think that that's what we are seeing. Um, this is going to be the end of the Western world, unless things change. Because you can't, you can't fool people for long that you're on the side of the right and good if you're not behaving the right and, and you know behaving like you're right and good. You know God will God will have His judgment, and um, and that's what we saw in the Old Testament when it comes to to Israel. You know the people would claim to still be worshiping in the temple. You know they would they would still be doing their sacrifices but they will be acting very immorally and God sees that hypocrisy and he he sees that the religion is just worthless and so that they were they were invaded they were carried off into exile and so on and so forth and I I I don't wonder if that's something something of that is going to going to be happening let me just um, come on to the last thing I wanted to mention which is actually one of my articles from my website so this is i wanted to talk about islam actually because i think islam is the you know the elephant in the room which we are just not talking about it's you know we're talking about people have mentioned how multiculturalism has failed but really the problem is not that you know we've got all of these jamaicans coming over oh gosh all those all those jamaicans you know that um yeah, I mean, they're not the ones on the streets calling for jihad. No, it is Islam, isn't it? That they are. That's really the the problem. Not about you know having people from other countries come here, but people come here who have very values which are sort of antithetical to traditional Western values. And and really, in a nutshell, that is Islam. And this is not to 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 make this kind of um, again to try and make this a black and white issue and saying Islam bad, you know, um, everything else good. Um, and uh, there are people like um, Rakib uh, Ehsan. Um, he was interviewed on Trigonometry again a, few, a week or two ago. And uh, I like a lot of what he has to say. Um, and th- I'm sure there are many Muslims in this country who would agree with many, you know, human rights and, and many of those kind of more Christian values. But nonetheless, um, let me quote you from, well, actually, in this article, um, I quote from Colin Chapman, a, a Jubilee Centre article. He, um, he came when I was uh, doing my curacy training. 
he came and did a talk to us about Islam. He, he lived for a long time in the Middle East. He taught there and he knows a lot about what's going on. And he wrote this article about extremis, extremism in, uh, in Islam. Let me just quote you from what he says. And I'll link down to the article so that you can have a read of the whole thing. It's just called Islam, Extremism and Political Correctness. And it was actually published back in 2016. So you can see that this is something that I've been thinking about for quite a long time. But let me, anyway, let me, let me quote you. There are significant numbers of British Muslims, however, who would not actively support the use of violence, but would not openly condemn it. And many would argue that if violence cannot be justified in the British context, it can be justified in certain other contexts like Afghanistan, Iraq or Israel-Palestine. Neat categories with clear labels do not fit this debate, and even among Islamists there is a wide spectrum of approaches from moderates, in sympathy, for example, with the Muslim Council of Britain and the Muslim Association of Britain, to extremists. So this is the thing, you know, so, so often the politicians, they seem to say that Islam is a religion of peace, and it's got a religion of it's a religion of human rights, and you know all that they want is just to, um, you know, to, to the same as us. They just want the same as us. But what I think Colin Chapman points out, helpfully, is that it's not that neat. And this is a debate within Islam. You know that it's not for me as a Westerner to come over and say I think Islam is this, that, or the other. If you're a Muslim you can say, well, I believe it's this. But you will have to convince others who do believe violence is justified, who do believe that, you know, in, in jihad or, or, or whatever. You know, that it, this is a debate within Islam and therefore it's not something which, you know, um, again, why are we welcoming with open arms, it seems, uh, Muslims who are, you know, from, from all of those different kinds of, of views and, you know, who don't actually have those, the same views of, of us about, you know, love your neighbour, about non-violence and, and so on and so forth. Um, that's, yeah, that's the first thing. Let the second quote, as he says, is, um, is this. The really obvious gulf is not so much between traditionalist orthodox Muslims and politically involved Islamists as between Muslims who practice and approve of violence and those who do not. So, for example, Zayuddin Sadar, a British Muslim, writes, We must acknowledge that the terrorists are products of Islamic history. Only by recognising this brutal fact would we realise that the fight against terrorism is also an internal Muslim struggle within Islam itself. Indeed, it is a struggle for the very soul of Islam. It's a struggle for the very soul of Islam. So this isn't some kind of peripheral. The terrorists are not some group who are, uh, you know, they're, they're just a, a very, very tiny minority. But it's a product of the history of Islam. If you've ever read Tom Holland's book, In the Shadow of the Sword, you'll know that that's that's how Islam spread in the early days. It was in the shadow of the sword. It was by, by conquest, by um, fighting, by war that it spread. 
And I know that that actually gave them their confidence that they were from God, you know, because they won these military victories. And, you know, this is the thing that the, the modern Muslim world, yes, it's very divided. And there's some very westernized Muslims and some very kind of, I guess you could say, more traditional extremist Muslims who, who want violence. But as, as um, you know, the article says, they're both within the house of Islam. They both can draw, um, particularly the, the ones who want violence, can look at the history of Islam and say, this is who we are. This is what we are. So again, you know, why are we as a country so keen to, to bow to Islam, to give them a free pass when actually, you know, we haven't thought enough about this and our, our politicians, I think, are cowardly and unwilling to actually say the unsayable. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's I'll, I'll leave it there for, for, for talking about Islam. I do want to come back to that and I do want to look at this in a bit more detail. I appreciate that I haven't really had the time to go into this, but do have a look at that article. Um, I'd just like to finish the podcast by quoting, uh, by, by doing a little um, Bible um, reading. And this is actually um, uh, part of the Bible I read just this morning, but I was really struck by it. I've been reading through the book of Exodus, you know, when and God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt uh, and uh, towards the promised land. And this is part of what, uh, this is from a, Exodus chapter 9. This is um, the, one of the plagues, you know, the plague of hail, you may remember. And um, I'll just read a little bit from uh, chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. All this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my, I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself up against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. So the reason that this struck me is because I think it just, those words, it says, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. It was within God's power to wipe the, the Egyptians off the earth, just, you know, like that. Snap his fingers, as it were, gone. But God didn't. Instead, he says, I've raised you up that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And it, it struck me reading that, you know, that we are we are living in days when politicians set themselves up as gods. Well, actually, not just politicians, but, you know, you think about the 
World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization. You know, there are so many organizations who seem to think that they have godlike powers. And you think about it in that perspective. You think about what God says, I've raised you up so that my power might be displayed. You know, then actually the more that these people set themselves up against God, the wor- the harder they will fall. You know, that the, the God is capable of bringing a judgment against them and he will. And I think that is what we have to trust in and what we have to hope in, that God is not going to let this continue forever, but that these people will fall as as in the days of Egypt, as in the day, you know, those ancient days of, of Egypt, as in many, many, many empires and emperors have found. You know, we thought about we thought about Nebuchadnezzar before and God says, you know, you fall, um, you know, you'll be driven away. You'll be driven away until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And that's what we, we hope in. That is what we trust in, that God is sovereign and that God will will bring judgment when the time is, is right. And perhaps the time is coming soon, sooner than we think, maybe. So there is room for hope. Uh, there is always room for hope. And, you know, I, I always think think this, that, you know, that as a, as a Christian, it's not... It is sinful to be despondent, actually, and, and that we shouldn't be despondent as Christians, that we should, you know, be trusting. And, uh, you know, we have to take ourselves to task when we find ourselves being discouraged and uh, pray that God would help us. So so let's do just that now. You know, it's there's so much bad news, isn't there, in the world? But we have to, where there is bad news, we have to remember that there is better news always. And that is is in Jesus Christ. So let's uh, let's pray and let's ask God to help us. And so, Heavenly Father, we recognise that there is so much bad in the world. We recognise that there is so much uh, evil and there is so much that seems to be going wrong in our culture um, in many different ways, in many fundamental ways, even the relationship between men and women, in the, the way that the world is with um, the, the Western world and its uh, neighbours, the situation in Israel and Palestine and Russia and Ukraine. Lord, we, we commit it to you. We pray that you would bring an end to to this, this madness that we're living through. And we pray that many would seek the light of Christ. And we pray that you would help us not to be despondent, but to be humble and trusting in you, recognising that you uh, can even raise up kings and leaders for your purposes, to show your power. And we pray that you would show your power in our times, Lord, and bring about righteousness and justice uh, across the earth. And we pray that you would bless us and keep us in your ways this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. Don't forget, you can get in touch. You can leave me a comment on YouTube. You can telegram me, email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And uh, you can support me on Buy Me A Coffee as well if you'd like to. So thanks so much, everyone. I'll see you again for the uh, uh, hopefully back to normal next week. Uh, But in the meantime, God bless.